I ask that my guides and the guides of those listening join us now as I set the intention for this podcast. I set the intention that this will be for the greatest good of all and that these messages reach the appropriate people. May this be a space of encouragement, of discovery, and may it help us find balance so our true selves can be present. My name is Brenna Mosley, and I will be guiding you through my process and why I unmask the universe. Hello and welcome to episode three of Unmasking the Universe. Thank you all so much for being here today, especially with this topic on the books for us. This episode will be the beginning of a mini-series that will focus on grief, death, dying, and how this shaped me. And uh, this is in hopes that you can relate to it and hopefully take away some things that help you to help heal yourself and your relationship with death and dying. So while I introduce this episode and my thoughts behind it, I wanted to give you a moment to grab yourself a candle. If this resonates with you, if this is something that you believe in, um, I'll be actively inviting in our ancestors specifically. I know I set an intention already at the beginning, but I wanted to invite our loved ones in since this is on death and dying. So I wanted to give you a moment to grab a candle while I'm talking about this. Um, clear your space if you if that feels right. Maybe grab a pen and a pencil um, because this is definitely meant to be teaching episode and learning in addition to storytelling and story time. Um, so while I am setting the intention, you might not want to be driving. It's up to you. Um, but, you know, this has the potential to bring in messages, guidance, and information. And so I want you to be in a receptive space if that resonates with you. So I wanted to start off the podcast journey with death and dying because that was something that was really, really influential for myself um, for a couple of reasons. It was, there were two moments actually for me. Um, the death of my grandmother was one of them and my near-death experience. Um, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. I don't really resonate with the term near-death experience because I definitely died. I wasn't near it. <laughs> I definitely existed in that realm for a moment. Um, but just for the ease of communication, I'll call it a near-death experience. But the, the death of my grandmother really shaped me into who I am and what I am today. And I'm very grateful that I was able to learn those lessons in the way that I did because I genuinely don't know that I would be as evolved, as mature, or as respected as I am. And my light just went out for some reason. Don't know why. Um, if I hadn't have lost her when and how I did. Um, this has been a challenging episode for me to construct for many reasons. Um, the first being is that I recognize that this is a very heavy topic. Um, part of me wanted to gloss over this because I didn't know how many of you would be ready to dive deep and experience and feel this with me. And I didn't know how deep I wanted to go and, and feel this vulnerable publicly. Um, so again, thank you to those who are here right now listening. It means a lot. Um, it's also been hard for me to spend this many hours on this topic. I've been working on this outline for about two weeks. Um, and to sit in these emotions and in these feelings for this long has been 
challenging, um, but I really wanted this to be meaningful and like a little mini class and for you to be able to take things away and not just to feel the heaviness. So um, the, the reflection and the introspection has been really helpful and definitely worth it. Um, I was able to learn so much more about myself and how I process or how I don't process. I learned that um, I was in a pattern of only diving in so deep and then I you know, want to pull back up because I found myself when I was working on this to you know, connect, be emotional, even be crying, write some things down and then have to stop and get up and walk away. And um, so it took me a while to, to do this because I kept doing that and it took me a while to recognize he was even doing that. Um, I would sometimes pick up the phone to distract myself or, you know, so I've been giving myself permission to feel this for longer stretches of time. And I've also given myself permission to show up today as I am um, and to let go of perfection. I'm just going to leave this light out. I think you can get the idea that I'm speaking and there should be enough lighting going on. Um, but, you know, I might cry and that's okay. And you're allowed to cry. And um, I have a decent amount of experience with helping people through um, death, dying, and grief. Um, but usually I'm only assisting a person or people in a scenario so that these nuggets that I'm giving them come up organically. So, but for this episode, I really had to sit down and think about all of the potential scenarios and then the solutions to those scenarios that you might encounter with death. Um, I know I missed some things. I, I actually did leave some things out on purpose um, because this episode would be two hours long. Um, there will be follow-up episodes where I'll want to interview, you know, a death doula or a hospice nurse or someone who really genuinely has experience with dealing with those who are left behind after death. So really grief, maybe a grief counselor is a good idea. Um, but after two weeks of working on this, I had to stop myself at some point. Otherwise, it would never come out. I'm always learning things. And so I hope you can appreciate the information and the tools that I'm providing you today. So I wanted to go ahead and, and, and speak to those of you who are freshly grieving someone. I wanted to bring up, I hope that the people outside aren't too loud. I, I'm going to really just test this out and see. You just keep rolling with it. Um, my wife also works from home, and so she'll be going into a meeting in a little bit. But I really want to test and see, you know, how, that's part of why I chose this microphone set up was because it was so close to my mouth. So I'm really just going to push through and hopefully the sound comes out as it should. But um, so to those of you who are freshly, who just lost someone and you're in that grief and it's still very raw and vulnerable, um, I wanted to mention that there might be some lighthearted tones, maybe some jokes or laughter. Um, and I'm bringing this up now because I remember when I was going through grief for the first time, I would have probably been offended if I was listening to this podcast because at that time, death and grief was nothing to laugh about. It was nothing to, um, that you just didn't take it. You shouldn't be lighthearted. It's what I thought back then. So, um, but what I wanted to bring this up to help me segue into one of the first things that I learned that I wanted to, to bring up is that not everything in life is equal. Um, I learned that you might lose someone or that you might be in the process of losing someone and that experience might feel overwhelming, it might feel terrible. 
Um, but there are still things out there worth living for, worth laughing about, worth connecting to, and everything doesn't have to revolve around that difficulty just because that is so difficult. Um, I hope that makes sense, but this episode is, is going to give you nuggets that you can absolutely walk away with today and implement immediately. And there are going to be some things that might take some assimilation or even personal experience for you to understand. Um, and I think that previous example is, 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 you know, one of them, that it might take you going through it in order to understand it. But I'm hoping that this podcast will at least plant a seed so that you can be able to process and recover quicker than I did. Um, and take your time. Be gentle with yourself. I had to even remind myself about this, that this is a journey, and this is a large unmasking journey, and it's not going to be over quickly, and it's not meant to be a checklist of things to accomplish. It's not meant to be like, okay, I did the episode on death. We can move on now. Like, it's going to be something that we're going to constantly have to revisit. Um, but I want to go ahead and dive into the episode and call in our loved ones and dedicate an additional candle. Um, I want them to have the floor more than just the word guides, since this is about death, dying, and loss, and grief. Um, and I felt it would be more impactful and helpful to call them in specifically. And I suggest that you use your imagination when I call them in. Come from a place of non-attachment, because I am setting the intention that the, all of these messages that need to come through will come through. So don't force it. Um, and one of the things that I'll be doing is I'll be envisioning my guides and my loved ones coming to me in a circle. I'm in the center of the circle and so that they can set up a sacred space for me and so that I can feel more comfortable to speak freely. Um, and I, that might be a, a helpful visualization for those who can do that, who can you know imagine in their mind. And so another one that you can use if you're not hyper-visual and you can't recall people's faces, um, maybe you can envision a bubble around yourself. It can be clear, it can be translucent, you know, it can be um, white, it can be colorful. It's really up to you, but the idea is for you to feel safe and receptive at this time. I'm going to take a sip of water. For the series going forward, I'll probably go ahead and start with a more customized intention, um, you know, calling in our past loved ones. This way I don't have to really waste time explaining what I'm doing and explaining the structure of the episode. We can just dive right in. So um, I'm going to go ahead and take a moment to breathe. I'm going to do in through the nose, out through the mouth for a count of three. I want to go ahead and ground myself and center myself now to call them in. Um, and since you are listening, I would encourage you to continue focusing on your breath and just focusing on relaxing and allowing and just listening to what I have to say. So on the count, we're going to do a three count in. Out. I ask that our ancestors, loved ones, family members, and anyone who has passed on to join us now as we set a space for healing, receptivity, and learning. For anyone who is open to it, I ask that you send them a sign or a message. Let this be from someone who has passed on. This communication is meant to facilitate healing 
and understanding as we journey through this lifetime. May this message be one of love, of the highest vibration, and for the greatest good of all. I set the intention that my guides and my ancestors be present and assist me to speak from the heart to share the messages that need to be shared at this time. And so it is. So as I was working on this podcast, um, I found myself wanting to create a meditation for us to use um, to call in our guides and to connect to them or, you know, past loved ones or what have you. Um, when I was working on these episodes, I found myself wanting to have like a, what I'm calling like a walk down medica medication, I mean, yes, but meditation where, you know, someone is guiding you, setting the space, and they can all be themed as well, but, you know, walking you down into relaxation, guiding you to a receptive space so that you can commune with your guides. Um, and there are those online, but what I wanted was like a three-hour stint of silence, you know, so like I walk you into this meadow and you're communing with your guides, um, and then there's, you know, three hours of just music so that you can talk with them or, you know, write or journal or shadow work or what have you. Um, and then, of course, at the end, I would, like, bring you up again. I wouldn't just, like, <laughs> let it end. But um, let me know what your thoughts are on that. If you have any suggestions or comments, um, you know, please comment on, like, you know, Instagram post, YouTube comments down below. Send me a message. Give me a call. But I really want to know what your thoughts are on that and if you have any ideas. Um, because I will be doing it, so if you have input, that would be great. So I'm going to go ahead and take a sip of coffee. Um, like I said on my first episode, I'm really enjoying the fact that this is like, you know, friends over at my house and we're just kind of hanging out. And um, while I'm drinking my coffee, you can take a peek at what I have over here. I have some pictures of my grandparents, um, some that have passed on, and I have some crystals to help assist. And I'll be talking about this book later and you know, kind of like a little mini ofrenda. Uh, my wife and I have one already in our regular practice, so I kind of took some of that and brought it over. Um, but yeah, and then this is my Nana's mug that she used to drink coffee out of all of the time. So I'm going to go ahead and take a sip here. So I mentioned that this is going to be a series. And when I worked on this episode originally, get ready to laugh, I thought it would be half an hour to an hour, tops. And then I'd move on to the next topic. But the more I worked on it, the more content I had, and I felt it was important to share the death and dying episode from the beginning. Um, because I mentioned in my last episode that I want this to come from a perspective of how death affects the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, and the mental. And um, I didn't really want to break down the series into death, how it affects the physical, death, how it affects the spiritual. That just felt too much like a lecture, um, but I'm, it's my plan to break it down into manageable chunks. I'm flirted with the idea of a couple of different ideas. I'm not sure what I'm doing in terms of, you know, how long one episode will be to the next, but I'm trying to make it make sense. 
Um, so I want to go, I wanted to start off with how I got to this point in my journey and what death has taught me about life. As a result of these teachings, there are things that you can do um, when the person is still alive. And what I've been coining the term of is preventative grief. I do think it's fairly obvious when you think about it, but death is going to happen to everyone. You know, like we ourselves will die and we will also lose people. So this is a relatable subject across the board. And it's something that I feel like, especially in older generations, it can lead to severe depression. Because you will have had, you know, let's say you're 80 years old, you've had 80 years of life where you've lost people along those 80 years, and the older you're getting, your peers are now starting to pass. And so it can get pretty intense, and, and you're forced to address your own mortality a lot of the times. Um, when I lost my grandmother, there were about two to three years in my life that when I look back on them, like, I don't even know what I was doing. Like, I think all I was doing was getting up, eating, and sleeping. Like, I was just existing. I felt completely lost. My life was pointless. I didn't want to be here. And so I'm hoping that by sharing my story and the things that I've learned, it will help you get up faster um, than I did and help us face our losses from a more balanced place. So I'm going to take a sip of water, and I think it's time to share the story about my grandmother and, you know, how I lost her. If I'm being honest with you, I don't know how much to share, um, but I'll share some, some small bits for now, the things that I think are important, and I'm sure I'll have more stories and things to um, convey to you as the podcast continues. So one day... <clears throat> My family decided that we were going to go to Disney. And for those of you who don't know, we live in you know central Florida, and I have quite a few family members, and I think pretty much every single family member has worked for Disney at one point. So it, you know, it's, it's a common thing that people do in central Florida. So it's something nice that we did regularly. Um, I'll never forget this day, though. Um, we just got off of the Toy Story ride like when Toy Story like first came out, not the whole brand new Toy Story area, but um, I remember we got off the ride and my grandmother, you know, gathered everybody around and said she had an announcement to make. She was a science teacher and at the end of her career, she had gotten to the point where she was only teaching like gifted and accelerated students. So she was definitely used to speaking to large crowds and what I like to call herding cats, which is definitely what my family is like sometimes. Um, so she said, listen up, because I'm only going to say this once. And, you know, everybody listened. And it's been a few, a few years now, and the specifics of, of what happened are fuzzy. But she said something to the effect of, I have ovarian cancer. I'm going into surgery soon. So that's why I wanted us all to get together and enjoy each other's company and have fun before I have to go through this. And she continued. And I remember that was all my brain let me digest. After she said that, like all of the blood rushed out of my face, reality started shifting, and I really couldn't take in much more information because I was just trying to digest what she said. Um, and I'm fairly certain my mother, who's the oldest, um, cut her off and made her back up. Um, I remember Nana, that's what I call her. Um, Nana was just talking about it very matter-of-factly. 
you know, almost like as if she's like, okay, so you fill out this worksheet like this and you turn it in like this and this, that, and the other. She wasn't talking as if this was something that she was feeling and experiencing and going through. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and stop here and say that that conversation really made me think about how I would relay the information if to my family, should I, if I were in her shoes or if I had to announce my death. And I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it because you don't know how you're going to pass. So to an extent, it's pointless. Um, but I do understand why should it, excuse me, I'm releasing some things apparently, sorry about that. Um, I understand why she did it the way she did. Um, this was how she was comfortable speaking and addressing a large number of people. Um, but I do think it was fairly matter of fact and fairly like blazed through. You know, she didn't really let us ask questions or anything. She kind of just wanted to announce and then let it and then just move on. Um, and you know, she was also the matriarch of the family, so I do feel like she had, or I felt like she felt that she needed some distance between what she was saying because she was the as we saw her, she was the glue that kept the family together. And even then, I have examined family structures and how I would want my family to be set up because I am the oldest of my family and so eventually I might be the matriarch or the head. And I want to foster vulnerability and um, realness instead of having that separation that most of our generation, you know, most of that generation did. Like, it was very commonly done. It still is. Um, but anyways, so the rest of the day was a roller coaster, um, not just because we were at Disney. We were all trying to figure out how to process while still having fun because we didn't want to, I didn't feel like we should leave because that was going to be one of the last times we would be together as a family um, celebrating quote-unquote life but I, there were quite a few times during that day when I remember just asking myself is this really happening is this real and I remember you know thinking about the worst case scenario and I wasn't even sure if I could ask questions because of how she approached her delivery um, but after Disney and her surgery you know the next few months were fairly normal for us um, we were still fairly optimistic, and she didn't really let us know um, that she was scared. She didn't really let us know that she was in pain or hurting. And, of course, we had to have known that she was, because who wouldn't be? Um, but she wouldn't really let us talk negatively about the situation, and we weren't, at that point, grieving or devastated, because she really tried her best. Like, she still continued working. She tried her best to continue to, to move through it, um, and as time passed, she realized that her recovery would be harder than she realized. And um, we took turns showing up for her, whether that was tracking down a nurse, keeping her company. Uh, we helped sometimes take her to chemo or be with her after her chemo. And eventually, she needed more help than what the nurses could give, mostly because um, they were short-staffed. I mean, they are now, but... Overnight, especially, was difficult. I'll never forget, there was one day I came to the hospital. Thankfully, my high school and the hospital were like two miles from each other. Like, I could walk from my high school to the hospital easily. 
And um, one day we came to see her, and it was must have been in the morning because she was embarrassed and in pain and in tears and was trying to keep herself together, but she couldn't. And my mom and I, I think it was just my mom and I, were there, and she was saying how, you know, she didn't get to go to the bathroom overnight, or she wet herself, I don't remember. Um, but it was because the nurses were so short-staffed and they couldn't get in there to take her to the bathroom. And so she was just processing that. And I took it upon myself. I mean, I, I either told my mother or spoke with my mother. Um, I was fairly headstrong back then. Um, not to say that I'm not now, but I remember I was like, I'm, I'm going to the school. I'm telling them what's going on. I'm either dropping out or they're going to work with me and I'm going to be a caregiver for my grandmother. So thankfully they worked with me and, you know, my teachers just kind of gave me worksheets and I read the book and turned it in and I was one of her main caregivers from then on. And I was 15 or 16 at the time. And this is where my love for medicine, human body, all that good stuff really took off. Um, I was already introduced into the medical world because my brother, a few years prior, um, was involved in a major accident and had broken his femur. And there was a nurse there that just really inspired me and motivated me, motivated me to learn how to be a true nurturer and to learn medicine. But when I was living this day in and day out with my grandmother, I couldn't help but learn about dosages and, you know, counteractions with medicine and signs to look out for and, you know, what the blood oxygen level is and all that good stuff. So um, I eventually decided that I really wanted to um, become a doctor and find the cure for cancer because I didn't want anyone else to go through that. That was, it was so tough to watch her and to feel helpless at some points. Um, but I remember this one doctor in particular, Dr. Shimp, and um, I'll never forget her. She impressed me immensely to this day. Um, I actually, even when I was doing my research on this podcast, I looked her up, and she's doing really well. Um, she's actually now, like, a teacher of robotic surgery, so she's doing really well, and I'm probably going to reach out to her. But anyways, um, what I remember the most about her going to sound silly, but was her height because my family were tall. I'm six feet tall. My dad's six, seven, like we're tall people. And she towered over me. But more than that, what she taught me was that you can have confidence while being tall and you can be assertive and you can be, you, you can know that you're good at something and still be humble at the same time. And she had so much concern, actually just as much concern for the family as for the patient. She understood that the family was going through this experience just as much as the patient is and that a lot of how the patient is going to recover and do is based on your group. And so she encouraged us to seek health, seek mental help, and to put ourselves first so that we truly could show up for my grandmother. And while we're on the topic of, you know, medicine and caregiving and such, I'm going to stop here, on, stop on the story part, and mention a few things that I think are important. If you or your loved one is going through a medical, you know, situation, whether it's cancer, you're having seizures, heart issues, go get a second opinion, at least one other opinion. 
each doctor is going to have their idea of a treatment plan. And just because that's the best treatment for that doctor, it doesn't mean that's the best treatment for you or for your family. I strongly urge you to either educate yourself on what's going on, be ready to take notes and ask a lot of questions, or consider hiring someone to help you through this process. There are also some free resources as well, like you know, a patient advocate, um, or like familiarize yourself with the options in case you do need help. Caregiving can be very consuming and will become a full-time 24-7 job at some points, and that's not sustainable long-term. We all think that everyone, that everything is gonna go swimmingly, that your rights will be explained to you properly, but often, I have experienced this more than once from, with more than one person, um, that your rights aren't explained and that a patient advocate needed to be involved. And so having that information available to you before this crisis is so helpful. Now, I'm not saying if every single one of you is in perfect condition, go looking for this because you are inviting that energy in. But if you know someone who is going through some kind of treatment or rehabilitation or something, you should know what your options are. And I, I do recommend taking the time out to seek that information out because it's helpful to have it before there's a crisis. So a lot of times we look up to doctors and their opinions because they went to medical school. They know more than we do. And sometimes we can follow them blindly. And this ended up happening with my grandmother's situation. And it was a very valuable lesson for me. And one thing that I needed to realize and, and remember is that your doctor has more than one patient. They have their own lives to attend to. And you want to think that they will think of every single thing and catch it, but likely they won't. Um, it's not like what you see on TV, so take responsibility and learn what's going on, ask questions, get a second, third, or fourth opinion if needed. And while we're on the topic of researching and understanding your options, you also wanna make sure that your loved one has a will and that you clearly know what they need and what their wishes are. You need to know their preferences on end-of-life care. Do they want extreme measures taken? Or is this person the type of person that would rather die in a freak accident than for you to try to save their life by, let's say, removing all of their limbs? Like my grandfather would probably rather die because he is the type of person who feels value when he can do things. And I don't think that he would be okay with someone taking care of every single thing for the rest of his life. So it's helpful to get to know your loved ones and to know their preferences. And on a lighter note, you need to check in and see if there are any favors that need to be done when they pass. I have a friend where we had this agreement that if he passes before me, the first thing I have to do is go to his house and throw away all of the sex toys and anything like that so his family and parents don't have to uncover that. Um, so, you know, have these conversations with people and, and having them now makes it easier. So in addition to those things, you know, does your loved one have any religious beliefs that, or traditions that they want followed? Um, one thing that I found was surprising was that, you know, I had someone that was not a practicing Christian, but because they had not established another religion, they wanted to be buried 
in the same Christian way that the rest of their family was. You know, it's tradition. And so it's important to have these conversations so that you're aware of what they want. Um, you know, something that we don't always think of as well is make sure you know the login to someone's computer so that you can handle their finances, like closing the bank account. You know, who is their cell phone provider? You know, who is their mortgage company? Like those kinds of things. And this is also a reminder to yourself to get your ducks in a row. Consider how difficult it would be or how easy it would be for someone to come in after you passed away and to tie up those loose ends. Um, you might want to write down all of your passwords and put them in a safe space, like in a safe, and then give that code to your friend or something. Because there are a lot of things nowadays, especially, that you have to handle and take care of, you know, life insurance, closing bank accounts, all that good stuff. And so if you have a plan now, I'm going to say it again, it makes it much easier later. Um, right, and while we're talking about what you can do about getting your ducks in a row, something that you can consider is going ahead and having your funeral arrangements prearranged. Um, not just necessarily what your wishes are, but going ahead and paying for it. Because sometimes, I mean, it is expensive, and sometimes our finances are tied up in your end-of-life care. And so you want to make sure that there is some money set aside so that your family and friends aren't having to pay for that. Some of you might encounter, you know, some pushback when you start to try to have these conversations. So, you know, like if you're caring for someone and they take the stance of, well, I'm alive and I don't want to focus on that right now, which is valid. You don't necessarily want to invite that, you know, reality. Um, you should still consider taking the response of, I understand that and I in no way want you to think that you should give up or that I'm not rooting for you. But the fact of the matter is, is that you will die one day, whether it's this or something entirely different. And I would rather talk to you now when you're here. You can make these decisions. I'm way less emotional, and I have the time to accommodate you versus last-minute grappling with the reality of your passing, and then I have to guess what you want to have happen. So one final thing before we get back to the story. This applies to caretakers and more traumatic deaths is remember that it's okay to not go see them, especially if they aren't coherent or aware of their surroundings. I say this because I was there until the very end with my grandmother. I even helped prepare her body before they came to take her to be cremated. Um, most people don't realize that the physical aspect of death can be very memorable and very impressionable. And for a while, when I thought of Nana, I didn't always remember her smiling at me or, you know, holding my face the way that she used to or, um, you know, some of those more fond memories. For a while, I remembered her throwing up blood. I remembered the smell at the end. And so I wanted to let, I wanted to let you know that it's normal, first of all, to have that experience and that that might be your reality. But I also wanted to give you permission in case you needed it to take care of yourself and do what you need. I've been talking, you know, to quite a few people about this death and dying episode and, you know, people have even volunteered what it was that was hard for them and a surprising amount of them talked about how hard the funeral was. And if you need this permission, 
You are not required to go up to the casket and go give them a kiss or touch them. You are not required to attend their funeral. Funerals are meant to pay respect to those that you've lost and to be there to support the family. And sometimes the support that's needed is understanding that everyone handles things in different ways and not to shame yourself or shame others if they don't want to be at the funeral. And you can pay your respect to someone without going to a funeral home. You can honor them without going to a funeral home. And I wanted to bring this up because I wanted you to think about that because a lot of people don't realize how much that can impact your healing process. So let's go back to my story. So she ended up finding cancer for about a year and a half. She went through multiple rounds of chemo, multiple surgeries and procedures, and um, it ended up at the end spreading all up her abdomen. Um, I remember the doctor at one point said it looked like someone took paint and just splattered it into her abdomen, and that's how much cancer was just everywhere. And um, ultimately, what caused them to stop the surgery was they found that a large number of her intestines were completely covered in the cancer, that it was surrounding her intestines. The cancer was surrounding her intestines like glaze on a donut. So they couldn't remove all of the organs. She wouldn't be able to live. So after that surgery, that was when, that was the moment that we started grieving. Um, they weren't sure she would make it through that surgery through the night because they had to take out a lot to try to give her as long of a life as they could. Um, but they realized the deeper they got, you know, the more, the less likely they would be able to save her. She ended up making it through that night um, and a few months, and she lived a few months after that as well. Um, but that, the, after that day was when we had to involve hospice and sign a DNR. Um, and I would say all of us went through denial at that point. I remember my mother and I specifically were in denial pretty much up until the end. We thought we could save her. And um, to be quite honest, I do think miracles can happen and miraculous recoveries can happen. I do believe that. I, like to my core, I believe that. The key is it is up to the patient and it's about their mindset. All of the prayer circles, all of the spells, all of the chants, and all of the crystals in the world will not help if the patient isn't willing to live. And so this brings me to my next lesson learned and thought that I wanted to share with you. And it's fairly complex, so give me a moment to share this. A lot of the, these philosophies I'm about to share with you come from Louise Hay and her book, You Can Heal Your Life. If you haven't read this, it's phenomenal. Um, she actually wrote this in 1984, um, or at least the first version came out in 1984, and there are some things that I feel like, for lack of a better word, are outdated, but really it's more just a slight pivot needs to happen, so just keep that in mind when you're reading it, but it's a phenomenal book. Whenever I see this, like I've bought this copy actually was bought at Goodwill for like $3, so I, buy, I continuously buy copies and give them to people. That's how much I love this book. So, um, I believe that my grandmother could have healed herself. According to Louise Hay, and I'm, this is an excerpt from the book, we create every so-called illness in our body. The body, like everything else in life, 
is a mirror of our inner thoughts and beliefs. The body is always talking to us if we will only take the time to listen. Every cell within your body responds to every single thought you think and every word you speak. Continuous modes of thinking and speaking produce, produce body behaviors and postures and eases or diseases. Diseases, like she does D-I-S dash eases. The person who has a permanently scowling face did not produce that by having joyous, loving thoughts. Older's, older people's faces and bodies show so clearly a lifetime of thinking patterns. I really love that last sentence, like that whole excerpt, but that last sentence. Older people's faces and bodies show so clearly a lifetime of thinking patterns. Because when I thought about every older person that I knew, it's true, I think. So that excerpt and the, these concept, concepts <laughs> lead me to two points and lessons. I think my grandmother had a lot of demons and her thoughts that were contributing to her decline. She did try to be a positive person. Like I said, she didn't really allow us to speak negatively or think of the worst case scenario. So I'm not saying she didn't try, but I don't think she knew that she was worthy enough, which is the difference here. From what I know of her, I think that she thought that she messed up too many times and that she didn't have the strength to push through and believe something other than that. And that is what taught me a couple things. There are a few things here that I wanted to bring up. Um, so that concept, you know, realizing that I think that she didn't think she was worthy enough, contributed a lot to my spirituality. I do think that having a spiritual belief helps you with tenacity. It gives you hope. It gives you something to focus on when times are tough. I think if she had had a support system and a regular practice, I think she would feel capable enough to handle her decisions and ultimately forgive herself. Louise herself says that disease usually comes from a lack of forgiveness, either of the self or of another person. And I want to go ahead and address that that concept was very hard for me to truly um, digest and agree to because I remember that was something that my father tried sharing with me when I was younger. Um, my father and his side of the family are still very much practicing Christians, and I had a tough time with their beliefs. And I remember one day my dad just said to me, like, I don't need you to believe every single thing I believe, but having a faith gives you hope. It gives you something to focus on. It gives you a community of people to be there when you need them. And I remember just being like, wow, you're so weak, and in my head, I didn't say this to him, I remember in my head thinking, you know, you're so weak that you can't do it on your own, that you can't be there for yourself. And it's not that you can't be there for yourself, but having positive, constant positive reminders and encouragement makes the experience much easier than nothing. So I wanted to go ahead and give myself kudos for actually speaking that out loud and sharing that with you all. Oh, my puppy is asleep and he's having bad dreams. T-Rex. T. T-Rex. It's just a dream, buddy. I think it, he's still asleep, but I think it fixed it. So the next thing that I learned was that I learned to look at myself 
to examine my mental health and I learned to listen to my physical health as well. You know, I read that excerpt, like your body reflects what you're thinking. Um, I learned that your body is a fantastic teacher. And if you want to avoid what my grandmother went through, you need to listen to your body and listen to yourself. And I began, began at that point changing my relationship with my body and to look at it as a form of communication from yourself to yourself versus my body is failing me. And then point number two resulted in, in an even larger lesson, which I partially learned from the cancer and illness, but also the actual death, was I learned to keep my chin up, to always ask questions and to be open to guidance and lessons along the way. I'll get into that into a later episode. I tried including it here, but that was a lot to talk about. <laughs> so that will be in a later lesson about, you know, looking up, constantly looking for new thoughts, ideas, and inspirations. So my grandmother passed with beauty, with grace, and with respect. And she really taught me how to die. Um, and she loved up until the very end. And I didn't know death could be so beautiful. She ended up passing away in her home, surrounded by her loved ones, and with her favorite songs playing in the background. Hospice and her other doctors had let us know that our hearing is the last thing to go. And so they recommended that we play songs that she loves to have communicate, to have conversations around her that she wants to hear, so be aware of what we're saying, and to communicate with her. And so we went through, she had this giant like binder thing with like three CD, like it was huge, right? Um, so we, we played that entire thing when she was in hospice. And the last CD in that binder was an Enya CD. And um, Nana ended up taking her last breath to the final chord of the last song on the CD. And the name of that song was On My Way Home. So I'm going to go ahead and play that song now. And I feel like this is a great stopping point because we're approaching the 30-minute mark here. And, oh, wait, are we way past the 30-minute mark? Oh, goodness, we're at the 46-minute mark. How in the world? Anyways, time is weird. So I'm going to go ahead and play this song and end this episode here for today. And the next episode will pick up um, with the intention setting if you are not listening back-to-back. -back. And um, it will con I'll continue on telling my story and the things that I've learned about death. So enjoy this song.
Please, please.